Welcome back, and thank you for flying with the Mad Pastors. Today's flight may include honest conversations, caffeine overdoses, and frequent eye rolls. You're more than likely to experience a little turbulence, so as always, buckle up, Buttercup. Powered by G6 Allies. Welcome back, seniors, senoritas, pastors, senoras. Well, those are the misses, and they usually don't come out and party with us because they're too busy protecting Maybe their families. Maybe it's because we haven't invited them within to. Within Cantos. What? Maybe it's because we haven't invited them to. Yeah, that's fair. Quit fair being point. an exclusionist again. Listen, we don't talk about senoras or Bruno. Or Bruno. Man, I had, so uh, before, like we were just kind of ending out some of our last season and I had a child. And that child is growing. He's seven months old now. And I don't know if I'm doing him a disservice in life, but he has watched Encanto probably 752 times. And he seems to not get the point because he does talk about Bruno. At least, it makes noises. I I have heard that conversation, yeah. Yeah, it's rough. Um, It's rough. So anyway, uh, I don't know if I'm helping my son We love to not talk about Bruno. Mm Mm-hmm. And Fight Club. That's the other movie we watched that now he talks about Fight Club. He talks all the about time. Fight Club all the time. Yeah, it's I don't know if it's he a great obviously missed strategy. rule number one. <laughs> rule number two. Uh, so anyway, to that point, uh, man, last episode I really enjoyed. I thought it was a good walkthrough. Uh, thank you, John McEwen, for writing a great article. Uh, but mm-hmm. one of the things that you're going to notice as we go through these, we're not actually going to rehash all the articles for you. We've the articles have different content. We're going to walk around them and, and build some context and some different ideas. And so. Um, I don't know. It was exciting. Yeah. Um, Got another article today for us. In fact, we do um, by an incredibly handsome pastor and theologian um, named Ian Dunaway. And uh, so it's the face made for radio. <laughs> I mean, it's because I can't see my face. That's rude. Um, last week was about gaslighting. This week um, we're going to be talking about. So it seems like an odd title, but why Jesus is not. Our reason or, man, I need some more coffee. Our example for baptism. and You want to try that again? Yeah. (sighs) Give us that title again, man. Why Jesus is not our reason or our example uh, for baptism. And and that's, you know, it's kind of funny because whoever we hit with this title, you know, depending on who you hit, it's either, well, yeah, of course he's not, or it's, no, he is. I mean, there's not a lot of, and that's kind of part of why we wrote this, but uh, one of the reasons that I wrote this article and I thought through it is because of how much, how many issues that I've seen, it really goes back to kind of a a cyclical problem we have in the church. And that is pastors are raised and trained by churches largely. I mean, they may go to seminary, but they are largely trained in practice and in practical theology and all that by churches. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've also noticed a decline in people's theological understanding and their willingness to, or just ability, I think, to critically reason scripture. And we also, because those pastors are part of those people coming up, I think we see that more from the pulpit, considering that we are very much about, I served at a church years ago, that it was, God was doing wonderful things. We were watching not just a lot of people come, but people getting connected and families getting, it was really cool. But we began to teeter-totter because at one point, the theological depth and the understanding of the pastor was outpaced by his desire to be creative. 
And so we had mm-hmm. a lot of really creative store, uh, sermon series. We had a lot of good sounding stuff. We even had a lot of maybe practical life wisdom, but it was never really, it stopped being grounded very quickly in, in reality and in theology. And, and I always go back to this idea of my, two of my favorite movies of all time are Miracle and Hoosiers. Now, Miracle doesn't apply. Which is interesting here. for a non-sports guy such I as know, yourself. Because I love the story. Listen, Ted Lasso, if it's taught me anything, it's that I don't have to know anything about the sport. I just have to appreciate the coaching. And so, but I love how, how Gene Hackman, um, he he tells his guys because they're they're what they are is an average Indiana basketball team. They win half the time, they lose high half school. the time. Yeah, high mm-hmm. school, sorry. High school Indiana basketball team. And and I can't remember, it's Milan, Indiana is where it really happened. But in, in, or Muncie, it's one of those two, but I think it's Muncie, but in Muncie, Indiana, I mean, there's just nothing there, right? In the 1950s when it's, when it's happening or 60s. Somewhere in there, yeah. And he ends up telling all of his guys, I mean, we, we all think, what do you do when you're going to play basketball and play it well? You learn to shoot well, you learn to dribble well, and you learn to look good when you're doing it. I mean, that's kind of how we see it all portrayed. And Hackman says, nope, you're not doing it. We're going, you're not even, you said you're going to pass the ball. You're going to run exercises. You're going to run laps. You're Nobody not going to shoot. Yeah. Nobody shoots in my practice. I've seen you guys can shoot, but there's more to the game than shooting. There's fundamentals and defense. And then, of course, all the guys come in and they're like, hey, man, I hear you got some new fangle ways to practice it. And it's this, this scene, and he just says, one of the big guys pushes them all out. And he says, my practices are closed. But the point that he explains is, if you're not good at the basics, you're never going to be good enough at the game. And, you know, this doesn't mean that everybody wins a championship that's good at the basics, but mm-hmm. they really do in real life go to win the championship because the idea is that the, when we are great at the basics, that is what empowers us to do well um, further on. And I don't see that mentality because that's also a biblical precedent too. We have to know the primary, the secondary, the tertiary, and understand why each one is each one so that we don't mix those up. And, and so in the church, I've noticed we have seemed to drop the ball on the basics and we don't even understand the basics anymore. And so, but we are really good at pulling out a relationship series or watching this thing or going, no, that's biblical. And it's like, no, that's not. Mm -hmm. So as we kind of look at all of this, uh, what I used was the idea of baptism, because that is one of the most, if you're a pastor, you've had this discussion. My hope is you haven't given into it, but I've had more discussions in my life of, I just need to be rebaptized. And I go, I don't think you do. And they'd say, I'd say, well, have you, you know, now we can, this isn't a podcast for maybe infant baptism or things like that. Mm-hmm. Let's just assume we're okay with that one way or the other, that infant baptism is a way of dedicating your child and doing all that. But but what we can all agree on largely in the Protestant world is, is um, believer's baptism. That when I give my life to Christ, I follow him in baptism as a sign that I have immersed myself in the gospel, been buried with him spiritually, and now raised to walk. And this is made clear in Romans 6. It's made clear through the creeds that pull more verses together. But I would have people, and I would always ask the question, why do you need to get rebaptized? I said, mm-hmm. have you given your life to Christ? I just really think it would do a lot to just change my heart. I've been doing some bad things. I said, well, hey, that's great. You need to repent. That's great that you've been doing bad things. Yeah, I was like, it's great that you're telling me. But I said, oh. you need to repent. You don't need to be rebaptized. I said, because baptism, I said, baptism is a one-time thing because it's not magical. It's not, it's, it's, it's literally a way of explaining that. But 
I've watched so many conversations like baptism or how we do salvation counseling, all of that. And it seems like there's a big disconnect between being really creative and having about that much depth in those things and then being consumed with what is popular. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I worked at a church that uh, did a big Thanksgiving-themed giveaway to Thanksgiving meals uh, to the needy and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and it was a huge ministry and, and did a lot of good. But I remember one year um, I was on the, the decision greeting team. So when someone would make a decision yeah. after the sermon and come forward, we would talk with them about their decision. And one, uh, well, I, there was actually two in the same year that one lady came forward and told me, uh, how grateful she is for this ministry, and uh, she and her daughter, they they come every year, and this has become part of their holiday tradition. And I was like, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you do that. And then as she elaborated, what she meant was it is her holiday tradition for her and her daughter to come to the service, give their life to Christ, and be baptized every year like just like you're sending out christmas cards and that uh, that was their tradition like wow. they because that made them feel good wow. and yeah. and it would carry them for another year hmm. until they would be baptized again the next year uh and so as i began explaining what baptism actually is it was completely foreign concept to mm-hmm. her uh and, and which then, is amazing for years that you would sit and hear a presentation yeah. on the gospel and see that and then go no and not get it i mean is that a, is that a problem on her, or is that a problem on us? I tend to think it's a problem yes. on us. Yeah, yes, <laughs> fair enough. Um, People be playing, be playing Candy Crush to, on their phones. To, <laughs> to your point, the the leadership of the church is not doing a great job of clearly communicating some of these fundamental doctrines and some of these, uh, frankly, more basic elements of the Christian faith. We have a huge lack in understanding of what they are and, and what their what their purpose is. Well, to, but and, to that end, even even our like our church, our, many pastors. So I worked on a national level with a lot of guys, and some of them were in student ministry, some of them were in rain church. And I remember having conversations, plural. And it would be, and I'm not I'm not attacking these guys. I'm saying we need to be better at this than we are. But conversations about you know they would they would be going and preaching the camps with a thousand kids at their camps. And they'd say, hey, do you mind checking my theology of baptism? I'm not really sure if I've got it right. And I'm like, bro, you've got a you've got a master's in a master's of divinity. What did you do for four years or five years? Like you've this is a basic tenet of the faith. Why and I'm not not even in a shaming way. We need to be able to ask those questions. But what scares me is that somebody has risen to a level where they are itinerantly speaking for big organizations that are long-lasting organizations, orthodox ones. And they don't know how to communicate the most basic truths. Mm-hmm. And it's really odd. Like it, it, one other example, I remember seeing a, this is when I was working in a parachurch ministry. And so I was at a church and they had a star, like one of their star interns who was going to be a full-time pastor somewhere else. Like it was a real big deal. I never got to talk much with them, but they grabbed me and several other people. And they wanted us to counsel with some students that had given their lives to Christ. And first of all, I think you should always talk people out of it if possible. Like you should ask them, you don't ask them leading questions. You ask them, Hey, are you sure? What did you do? Well, I walked through with one student and he got it. And so he and I went on for about 10 minutes and I I looked over 
And we had fill out a card so that they could follow, the student staff could follow up. It was a really good process. But then I look over and this big, he's this big guy, this big intern. And he's got like a sucker in his mouth. So it's already kind of weird, but he's just got say, his body language is real weird. And he's just, he's putting his arm on the shoulders of kids saying something and then pushes them off. Like, and it's less than 20 seconds. So I said, okay, but and I thought he's working, helping people fine. And I said, all right, man, well, hey, listen, somebody's going to get with you. I'm excited to talk to you. Here's my number. If you need anything, let me know. And as he's walking out, this guy goes, hold on, hold on, stop, stop. And I went, okay, sure, what's up? And he walks over and grabs me and goes, what did you do tonight? I gave my life to Jesus. Okay, so you know that how you like you have parents and your parents love you, and but even when you do bad things, they're going to love you? Yes. That's how Jesus feels about you now. You may do bad things, but he still loves you. Love you, man. That was the necessary thing that he told me. I have to tell everybody that leaves. And I went, that's what we're leaving is with. <laughs> like, but this is in a massive student ministry. And so my my concern is, have we lost the basics? And so the reason we talked about baptism in this article that's so important for us is, you know, there is so much, I need to get re-baptized. I need to, like at one point I watched a, a father baptize his child and it was a really sweet moment for him to do this in his backyard. And then he strings together this long, he like word searched baptism. So they didn't really even match up. The, but after telling us how theologically adept he was, and I was like, well, cool, bro. But after telling us how theological adept he was at, at anything, but at baptism specifically, we we're like, well, cool. Then he reads off a bunch of verses and then reads the passage of Jesus being baptized and says, this is why he's getting baptized. And I just, it was hard, hard for me. Meaning he's doing it to follow Jesus's example, right? right. Jesus did it, therefore I should do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, well, because, I mean, because that's what he ends with. And it's not, I would expect to end with, you know, Paul in, in Romans 8, right? That we've been buried with Christ and raised a new life or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. But we, it's just like the idea of baptism popped up in very contextually ambiguous places for what he's doing. It wasn't about the act of baptism. It was using baptism as a word. But then he does. He says, so with the example of Jesus, and he reads it off, and we baptize. And I just, it kind of hurt, not because it wasn't a sweet moment, but because the water now and forever will be until, unless that kid learns or that father, which didn't sound like the father was going to, that that's not why we get baptized. And there's this lack of, you know, we don't, the logical side of it is that Jesus didn't get baptized because he was being forgiven of sins. We don't get baptized for the same reason at all as Jesus did. And, and I mean, there's more about that in the article, but Jesus was baptized as a way, not as in repentance, but as saying, I am adopting what John is doing. I'm adopting this prophecy. He's speaking about me. And he did that to show his divinity, but that kind of breaks out that baptism has been a tradition in the Near East, in the Egyptian world, in the Jewish world, and it's been even through the Old Testament has been a way for us. It predates Jesus, not that God is not in control of it, but it even predates that moment. We didn't come up with it as Christians, though it feels like we did in the West. Baptism is a way of saying, I'm immersing myself in a belief and coming out different. I mean, the word literally means to immerse, right? To the baptizo, to baptize. And but this is this is the most other than salvation is the most core tenet but when i even when i hear people talk about what repentance and confession mean it's i'm not saying i'm the perfect one that's got all the answers but i am saying that most most pastors that i hear anymore give invitations it's very unclear what they're doing
And how do we work on that? Yeah. Um, it seems to me that one of the reasons that we have such murky water here, mm. no pun intended. <laughs> Baptism. Uh, Baptism jokes. <laughs> not as funny as uh, not as funny as our gaslighting jokes, but keep going. No, that's true. Um, but I, I think one of the two two challenges. One is it's not just a matter of uh, we have we don't understand the basic tenets of theology. We have detached ourselves, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to harp on it too much, but we have detached ourselves in the year 2022, modern church in America. Yeah. We've completely detached ourselves from our faith tradition, yeah. from 2,000 right. years of uh, rituals and customs and practices and traditions mm-hmm. and reasons why we do what we do. Yeah. Uh, we've completely removed ourselves from that, which makes our current environment, our current experience, our current perceptions, our, our current proclivities, the supreme mm-hmm. authority in all the things that we do. And so, of course, things are going to get murky because now we're we're <laughs> waving back and forth yep. based on current trends and current thinking. Uh, we're not grounded in our history. Well, it's, um, it's foolishness to think that we can do that. And just, I mean, like, because I, I hear this a lot with people whether they adopt a belief system that's very young or they, and they've just decided that's the belief system or they, and, and, or we talk about, man, I'm not gonna, I can't believe that you would believe this, this, and it's like, man, when you have a broad view and a long life, a view that I'm always trying to develop and need to develop more, but when you understand and go back to as close to Jesus as possible and then start watching why we do the things we do, it does, it changes everything about how we view our faith in a good way. And, and I'm not suggesting that every pastor should be a church historian. Sure. I mean, I mean it's kind of important there, to some degree. There, there are some elements that yeah. we should all know. Sure. But, I mean, how many how many pastors have an understanding of the historical context of baptism? Mm-hmm. And what does that say about our current views of baptism? If, as, as, you're, as you're advocating, yeah. that something is amiss in our present understanding yeah. and the way that we're communicating baptism, do pastors know how to look at what they're communicating right now mm-hmm. and compare that, overlay that with 2,000 years of church history in all contexts? Like, what 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 can we learn in 21st century America about baptism from 9th century African churches? Right. Like, there's things that we can learn and we sure. need to identify with. And so let's let's do some of that. Sometimes thinking, some of the pastors right? I've talked to be like, they didn't have churches in Africa in the ninth century. I think they did. I'm pretty sure they did. Um Augustine and, of Hippo. And so I think that's that's one piece is that we, we need to connect yeah. to our our tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I think another piece is we simply have our priorities out of whack. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned earlier in that one Thanksgiving ministry outreach that we did that there were two, I had two really difficult conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the one. The other one was a guy uh, that came in, very similar story. He said, I've come for the last three years, yeah. and uh, I want to be baptized because that's how I wash away my sins. And and so Seen I began that. talking through, like, 
okay, there's nothing salvific in this, and I didn't use the word salvific, <laughs> but I wish uh, you had. Have. I really had it, there. It, it is it is symbolic, and we talked through yeah. all of that. I, I even used the old school wedding ring symbol it's illustration. The best one, I think. Uh, you know, did all of that, and uh, and he was just adamant. Like, got mm-hmm. he got belligerent <laughs> with me, like you are going to baptize me, and I said. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not, not going to do like, it. I'm going to hold you under. And at that point, one of the other pastors, because this was obviously a large church, and yeah. so there were several, there was five or six of us pastors that were rotating through, because this event would baptize uh, 100 to 200 people at this one event uh, mm-hmm. over a weekend-long thing. Yeah. So there were several of us that were on baptism duty, and uh, and one of the other pastors stepped up and and said, hey, he doesn't have to do it. I'll I'll do it, and the reason that he chose to do it was because it added one more number to the baptism total. Absolutely, priority was yeah. out of whack. It had nothing to do with him understanding the biblical context or the reason for it. It didn't have anything to do with theology. It didn't even have anything to do with making mm-hmm. him more of a disciple of Christ. It had to do with adding another tally mark in the baptism column so that we could celebrate it. Yeah. Because the lead pastor had given us a goal and said, "I want to see X number of baptisms at this event this yep. year. Do what you have to do to make that happen." Well, we can't turn away one that's wanting to be baptized because that's the goal. Yeah. There's a mismatch in our priorities here. How do you, and and, and I would say this too, because I think we have pastors that have been in those situations. Maybe they're in those situations. Maybe they're leading that situation. But my question is, how do you square the Holy Spirit's work and square your, like your, you being in control of it, like how is it that men in those situations and pastors, how do they square that with it being, I mean, that's clearly biblically wrong. They can't control. So how do we even mentally, how do we make that the case? Because you're right. The mismatch in priorities is if I can get butts in seats and I can get butts in baptism, baptismals and I can get numbers. I mean, cause remember we don't, people don't really care about the salvation side because you can't count salvations, at least in that denomination, you count baptisms. Oh, they did. Did they? Oh but, yes, but I didn't even and, think that. And you which, could which was this. a whole nother. It was a whole nother issue. No, they did. They they that was probably the biggest number that they celebrated. No way. And that was part of I mean, the be, part of the issue not. that I that I had with it. There was such a discrepancy between the two. Yeah. So they would baptize two hundred people, but eighteen hundred people made a profession of faith. Right. And we would celebrate that. And then nothing ever came of those 1,800 or 1,600 people that didn't get baptized. It's almost like, I mean, and, and I remember that I've been a part of that event. I've seen that event but as well. But it's kind of like the idea when I when I was teaching college students at one church how to counsel with students. Like, you know, the idea of talking them out of following Jesus before you let them follow Jesus. Cause, and I'd say, don't ask leading questions. So I came out and this one kid had gone back crying and bawling and all that. And I said, one of the college students, he said, Hey, he gave his life to Jesus. I said, really? That's amazing. I said, let me talk with him. Cause I, I didn't know this kid from Adam that counseled him. Like he was new in our ministry, but he was a good kid. But I walked in and I said, Hey, Hey buddy, what decision did you make tonight? That's all I asked. Cause that's really mostly what you have to ask. And he goes, my French pit bull named Bill is dying. And I said, Oh, okay. He said, I just want to pray for him. I said, so you didn't give your life to Jesus. No. And I said, Okay, <laughs> I just moved on. But I, but as crazy as that story is, you go, well, we wouldn't do that. Well, but you are doing mm-hmm. that. That's in that that event in that area, and it probably there was a very ambiguous box that said, "Do you want to follow Jesus?" 
and you scar because it's like, well, who wouldn't and, want and then we Jesus? can't and then we count that number. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so there is a there is a problem with our priority yeah. in in this as well. And so I, I think those are a couple of things that we need to to focus in on. We need to beyond just connecting back to our tradition and mm -hmm. to making sure our priorities are in the right order. Uh, we do need to go back to God's word and what does God's word say about yeah. things like baptism. And, and this isn't just harping on baptism. Baptism is kind of our example that yeah, we're using for everywhere. a much broader issue mm -hmm. that we need to begin thinking or rebegin thinking about doctrine and why church practices matter yeah. in a in a fresh way because what we're doing is clearly not working very well. Well, and let's, I think as, as we kind of end out, there's a couple of things that stick in my mind, but one of those is, um, we say this in the article, that little misunderstandings have big ramifications. And I do think that there is a, and I, I feel the weight of this, I know you feel the weight of it, and even what we talk about here, we laugh and go, but, but what we say, not only as believers and ambassadors of Christ, but then as pastors who shepherd God's flock, every word that comes out of our mouth carries weight. And we made it, I don't think that is something that is understood or even really practiced much in our world today, but it's worked its way into the church. And like one, if, if you're saying, I don't, if you're a pastor who you struggle to communicate the gospel or communicate baptism or walk through those conversations, I'd encourage you, there's no stupid pastors. There's just bad decisions on do it. So you need to, I mean, connect with us, shoot us an email, you know, do whatever. We'll send you anything you need to help, like as far as resources go. And we just want to be on that journey with you. But on the other side of it is, you know, little, little misunderstandings over time have huge consequences and mm -hmm. pay big, you know, have big ramifications. But for us as believers too, our words carry a lot of weight. And I don't think that we, we match the weight that our words carry with how careful we should be in what we speak. And I mean, I've watched it. I, I've I've made that mistake and gone, ugh, you know. And in the last four or five years, God's really convicted me that what you say is important, not uh, not always because of what you say, but because of what you don't say. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I would say, like as we look at, I mean, I, I look at families because I spent most of my time in, in student ministry in the last decade and a half doing in, in big student ministry, so seeing a lot of families. <sighs> And I have seen this play out, and over the last 20 years, we've exponentially seen 20, 30 years, a drop-off in kids staying in church and attending church. And, you know, a recent research article came out where it said the 25% of kids that they, in their research, found out stayed in church stayed because of several reasons. One, they just ate dinner five nights a week with their family. Um, they, they served in ministry with their family. They, and every student pastor is going, yeah, yeah. And they're, we're all just like, this is true, because we know. But we, you know, they had those kind of things. They they served in church. They attended church more. They brought Jesus home into the discussion. And the funny thing is, even the responses when I post that and talk about it are, well, I don't really know if the family makes that big of a deal. I don't really know. if It's all about personal accountability. Or you hear, you know, parents don't want to touch it because they're like, well, we go to baseball three weeks out of the month, and that's what we worship, really. But we're not going to say that. And, but I think little little communications where we have laxed so much. I mean, one of these big pastors, influential pastors, I remember him saying, you know, truth is people just come to church once a month now. That's normal for them. So we just need to get, get over it. No, bro, that's not the gospel. That's not discipleship. We need to work on how we're connecting with people and refining that because little statements, little um, 
misunderstandings will have big ramifications, and I think have in the church. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's, I think your point about salvation is absolutely, it makes me cringy and my stomach hurt because how many people, when I, I got to go visit in college, St. Peter's Basilica, and I remember thinking how many millions of people went to hell paying for this beautiful thing that I see. And sometimes I wonder, it's less, it's less, uh, you know, obtuse, I guess, for us. But how many people will go to hell because we were more concerned with checking a number than we were reaching a person? And I think to your point, we've created big machines that we, we've decided they only work on a certain fuel and we fuel them. And I think we've hit the sensationalism that if you can't say 1,800 people got say, it's the same idea that when they went and played the Jesus film for people in Africa that had never seen anything, they're all like, yes, we want to get saved mm -hmm. because we're, they're afraid Iron Man is going to come out and blast them all. Like they didn't right. know. And, but then they go back and they fix it. And, and so I, I don't know my encouragement and, and we'll end on yours, but my encouragement is the world doesn't need another super flat. I'm all about creativity as long as it's in the right lane of faithfulness, clarity, and creativity. Because you can be really faithful, not be very clear. You can be really faithful and clear and not be creative at all. And I think those are three things that work together, but in that order. And so I, I would just encourage you as a pastor. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine anybody would ever be negative about this, but go, I mean, I, the other day I went and bought three or four new of those four views books on several mm -hmm. issues. Counterpoint series. Yeah, mm -hmm. counterpoints. Because I think multiple publishers have owned those at different points or whatever, but there's a lot of them out there. But I just want, you know, I need to brush up on some of this stuff and I need to read some counterpoints. And like, I, you know, after I know 16 years and 50 years and some of those guys have it, but even after 16 years, I should be an expert. And but I'm just not. I'm never going to be. And so there's nothing you need to brush up on what matters and what matters to your flock and then know that what you speak and how you speak about it carries deep weight. So when in doubt, don't say it, <laughs> you know, learn, learn how to say it better. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my encouragement would be just to, to reiterate this whole conversation that pastors continually point your people back to the truth of God's word, prioritize that over any metrics you may be chasing. Those metrics aren't necessarily a bad thing, yeah. Uh, but put them in the right order and, yeah. and make sure that your priority is to make disciples. Uh, we, Mm -hmm. Particularly, I mean, the Bible has numbers in it. I mean, like you shouldn't be scared well, of them, but you can't worship I, them. <laughs> like it's, I, you I think one of one of our greatest challenges in over the next twenty years as a church in America is going to be course correcting from where we have been the last thirty or forty years, which has been pretty decent. I'm not going to say really great because yeah. we haven't been, but we've been pretty decent at making converts, at creating Christians. Yeah. We have not been very good at making disciples. Shoot. I, and I and there's, a big, there's a big difference between those two. And Absolutely. so the next 20, 30 years, uh, pastors, let's lay the groundwork now for a change in mm. what we're doing. I don't care about making converts. Yeah. I care about making disciples. Con conversion comes with that, right? So I'm not saying we don't need to share the gospel with anybody, but sure. it doesn't stop at that. And well, so yeah. we need to be making disciples. And part of that discipleship process is helping people understand some of these core issues like baptism. I think you're right. And the the dividends on that pay, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's not a both, it's not either or, it's a both and. And I think it is not, it's not flashy work to do that. 
Um, and, and honestly, I've been around most of the flashy guys. I've been around a lot of them, the famous guys, and they're jerks that you wouldn't want to be around most of the time. And we built a culture of superstars, and that's not the culture that Jesus is. Jesus mm-hmm. was humble. Jesus invested in people. There's nothing wrong with being famous, but but seek, I mean, the idea of seek first the kingdom. And Jesus said, if you want to be like me, I didn't know where I was going to lay my head. I was killed naked on a cross. I mean, when we think about the work that we do, I think we can be excited about the role and the actual value of it rather than just how it looks. Mm-hmm. And so if you are uh, tonight or today or this afternoon or this morning, whenever you're watching this podcast, um, we did not, we got into pieces of it, but I would really encourage you to go and read um, this article that I wrote that is, it's just a good article to catch you up on some things and maybe spark some discussion. Uh, about baptism specifically. Uh, but if you have comments, questions, anything like that, we would love for you to put them in the comments. Your, our email is going to come up a little bit later. Check us out. Um, we will be back next time to talk about another article that Michael wrote. Mm. Oh, my turn, huh? And, and then some articles none of us have wrote. So um, either way, it's it's. I think it's really good to connect and to do this. Uh, but our, our content is always fresh and it's always new and fun. And it's, well, I don't know, sometimes it's hard. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's just difficult, but it's a good thing. And so uh, I can't wait to see you guys. Uh, May your coffee stay hot. And your ministry stay healthy. Mm. But my coffee is not hot. It's time to get some more. That's why I have a mug. And also, uh, pretty soon we'll have a store, and these might be available on the store. So if you want a buckle up buttercup mug, maybe you need to get one. That's my catchphrase. See y'all. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Mad Pastors podcast. Mad Pastors is powered by G6 Allies. G6 Allies knows that most pastors struggle to find the right tools for a holistically healthy life. The G6 Allies network provides tailored growth options for every area of their lives in one easy to find place to ensure pastors live well. Partnering with G6 Allies is easy. You can subscribe and share this podcast so more people can experience the same help and encouragement as you. G6 Allies depends on the partnership and generosity of friends like you. Visit g6allies.com partner to see how we can work together to make a difference. If you have questions, comments, or want to contact the Mad Pastors for any reason, you can reach us at hello at g6allies.com. We'll see you next flight.